Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. All right, welcome back to Brooko Mode for episode 30. Um, this episode, we're joined by Spencer Robertson. Great to be back. Uh, I can't believe we're at 30 already. I, I, can't, I don't know what number my last episode was. Episode 9. 9? Wow, geez. Getting, getting through them quick. Love it. Yeah, so this episode we're going to delve a bit into sports journalism and sort of the impact um, for athletes and their mental health. So Spencer, Spencer has graduated uni studying history. He studied a lot of media and he's also a big consumer of media and he loves his sport and stuff like that. So I guess... As a result of social media, sports journalism has skyrocketed and it's had such a profound impact on mental health. Now, to start, I have an interesting fact here. It says 35% of elite athletes suffer from a mental health crisis, which may manifest, may manifest as stress, eating disorders, burnout or depression, anxiety. Why do you think this is the case with athletes? It's just, I'd probably say it's the high pressure environment and the more... Uh, noise that's noise in both a figurative and sort of literal manner um, more noise that is surrounding the profession is the the higher pressure you know is on the athlete um, and pressure does things to different people you know um, in the AFL sort of sense it's the biggest you know biggest sport in the country there's just that much media like content such a demand um even you see on the weekend, there was 96,000 people watching a semi-final and then across the road, NRL, you got 20,000 at the Storm game. There's AFL is, you know, it's the, the big, big sport in this country. Um, and I, I think the higher up you go, as I sort of said before, the, the more noise it sort of is and there's that internal yeah. pressure and the external pressure as well. What do you think has sort of changed in the AFL, the sporting media journalism world in the last 10 to 15 years with the sort of skyrocketing of you know sports journalism in through social media and stuff like that well i i'd probably say there's a bit of a transition that we're going through at the moment between new media and old media and 
old media being like traditional media, you've got your newspapers, you've got your radio and whatnot, and these sort of they're trying to keep up with the the, the new media, I suppose, which is you know the social media, um, the your TikToks, your f- Facebook lives. There's just new ways to present sport in, that would have been you know unfathomable, um, you know, decades ago, I guess. Uh, and I th- I think that's definitely having having a bit of an impact. Um, sort of adapting to the new sort of theme i guess and the the newspapers and whatnot are sort of fading out and they're trying to find ways to to fit into this this sort of new mold um and i'd probably also say that uh journalism as a profession is sort of becoming a bit degraded because sort of anyone can kind of say that you know they're a journalist if you with like the internet and whatnot everyone can sort of broadcast their opinion in a much more um pronounced way than in you know, yeah. in, in pr- previous history, I guess. Um, you know, there's a saying of <laughs> opinions are like assholes. Everyone's got one, but on the internet, you know, <laughs> everyone can you know claim that they're a journalist without having any sort of specific accreditation behind it. Um, so then that leads to towards people saying things that you know haven't been backed up by evidence or you know, um, yeah, evidence at all. So you yeah. get those sort of un substantiated uh, uh, news stories and whatnot that we see pretty prevalent in the AFL industry is that's the main one, I'd say, yeah. Because there's such an abundance of information nowadays, do you think that's why it's media has got sort of the sensationalism? Because they're sort of having to hook people in and, you know, clickbait. Because there's so much information, the only way to get people to consume your content is almost to say yeah, things that are out there and stand out and a lot of the time they're unsubstantiated claims and they're false and it has such a negative impact but do you think that is why it is I probably would say that considering there's just that much like the the media landscape is just so saturated now that's probably the reason why we're seeing guys like Kate and Corns and stuff like that um coming out with you know these very big inflammatory sort of remarks that um that are getting you know a rise out of people and you know, he knows exactly what he's doing with bringing these sort of people in, getting these sort of reactions. Um, and, you know, there's there's money there's money to be made with these sort of things. You know, it's not... Um, yeah, th- there's absolutely money to, uh, money to be made. There's a reason why these people are, you know, making these sort of comments and um, proliferating this particular sort of message. Um, I, I got a prime example of this, I guess... Um, there's a video that Kane Corns actually posted, um, or was it was like an excerpt of when he was on SEN, and he's deliberately like, definitely like baiting supporters uh, by like listing like the top five like softest fans <laughs> by clubs, and it's just like it's so, it's so clear that you're just they're just trying to get a rise and you know boost that engagement, um, and that sort of goes back to what I was saying before about the the transitional um, phase that we're sort of in between new and old media. Um, with these companies that are like big radio companies, I guess, like that, trying to reach in new markets by um, using like platforms like TikTok and stuff like that to reel in more people. Yeah, because they have to, you know, say these inflammatory things to sort of, you know, hook people into their, their content. And a lot of the time, they're false claims that have such a negative impact on players' mental health. How can we manage this? How can we draw the line? How can we sort of stop these the sort of circus parade it is at times? 
I think it's pretty difficult, um, especially in the AFL sort of sphere. Um, there was that documentary that came out for t- the 2020 AFL season uh, on Amazon Prime, uh, Making Their Mark, and it was a pretty clear sort of example of how inescapable the media noise is. Uh, it was Adam Simpson was talking to uh, West Coast Eagles players, and he was just mentioning all of like these media stories about like how, how they've been like portrayed the team has been portrayed in the media and it's just interesting because uh you know you hear a lot of players and coaches and whatnot in the media is talking about how uh you know we don't listen to the media we don't listen to outside noise you know we're very focused on the end goal and, and we're not worried about you know external perspectives and whatnot but it's pretty clear that you know <laughs> players coaches whatnot are acutely aware of what's being said about them and you know <laughs> It's pretty easy to um, pretty easy to say something on the internet, um, and I can come back to people pretty quick. You know, <laughs> I think everyone's pretty aware of that. Yeah, it's pretty hard to escape the noise, and you see sort of some athletes like Christian Petrarca, who's really out there and sort of being his authentic self with how he puts content out into the media. But do you think it's it's easy to do? You think it's harder for the more fringe players to be themselves and do you think it might just be better for them just to avoid consuming as much social media content as they can well i definitely think that players like try and avoid it as much as they can but i just don't think it's possible considering most people are on facebook instagram or whatnot these days and there's just a constant stream of information that's available through there you know (laughs) and even like through like their friends or whatever like that I'm sure that you know they're consuming media as well, and they'd probably let them know in the same sort of sense. I just don't think it's one of those things. I think we might end up seeing actually less ex players in the media, just because becoming jaded by the whole experience with like the sort of sensationalist media that we see in the AFL at the moment, um, just not being sort of disenfranchised. Because obviously, you know, there's there's pretty clear pathways for ex players. A lot of the time, it's either you know you go into coaching or you go into you go into the media. But I think we actually might see less um, players in the media in the future if you know the sort of sphere that we're in at the moment continues to expand. Yeah, I still think it's going to be likely though because there's there's probably a lot of players who ex players who are still just going to um, not sort of care and just you know it's still a job at the end of that and a lot of them have put all their eggs into one basket. So the journalism, the commentary road, the coaching sort of thing is such a a natural path for a lot of these people who don't really have a life outside mm. of football. So it sort of might be hard to... Well, at the end of the day, footy is definitely, like, it's a business, like, it's a massive industry. And, like, I guess, you know, you have people that are, like, invest in different industries and whatnot. Like, um, I guess, the, in terms of, like, I guess, oh, we'll bring it back to, like, people having, like, sort of, like, family businesses or whatnot. And... You, you, you sort of see the same sort of thing in the AFL. We have the same sort of names continuing on, um, you know, for, for decades and whatnot, like father, son or whatnot. I guess it's sort of similar to, you know, how people have, you know, like, oh, my, my dad was a, you know, a plasterer or whatever, so I'm going to become a plasterer or whatnot. Um, you can sort of sim- think, think of it in a similar sort of vein, I guess, um, of people staying within that sort of yeah. same industry over time. Obviously, you know, like there's different... Standards, you know, AFL is a very like high performance, you know, cutthroat 
business, and it's probably the same, you know, in the, the media realm as well, I guess. Yeah. I've got a quote here from Kevin Love. He's a f- I don't really know basketball, but he's a five-time all-star in the NBA. And he said this really important thing. He said, mental health isn't just an a- athlete thing. What you do for a living doesn't have to define who you are. This isn't everyone thing. No matter what our circumstances, we're all carrying around things that hurt. And they can hurt us if we can keep them buried inside. So I think we put these athletes on pedestals or we used to a lot more. And nowadays we look at journalism in a really negative way, but I also see the the light where we've also been able to showcase and bring awareness to a lot of athletes who are struggling and sort of normalise their struggles um, to sort of take away the, the stigma that they've got it all figured out. So how do you sort of see the positives in journalism and should we be seeing more of the the positive side to it and showcasing you know the more positive journeys of athletes yeah i guess it just comes back to what sort of sells and um, unfortunately at this stage is you know it's a lot of time it's the, the, the bad things it's the hate and whatnot but it's great with uh we'll bring it back to christian petrarca like in the past you there's no way you'd be able to have the level of sort of insight and understanding that you Obviously, you know, social media is not exactly how life is and whatnot, but, like, being able to see into, like, players' lives and, like, how, you know, the, how they train and the, the things that they do to sort of prepare and whatnot, you know, the level of insight that we have now is just, like, so great in terms of compared to, like, in the past, which is, I think, is a great thing because it humanises the players sort of more rather, rather than, you know, in the past where, uh, I guess, you know, you were saying about the putting players on the pedestal, stuff like that. When you humanise someone like Petrarca or something like that, you know, you, you, you're bringing it back to, you know, he's a person, you know. He's not just someone that is running around in the footy field. He's not a robot, you know. He's someone yeah. that has, like, you know, dreams, aspirations, you know, and he has, he has feelings, you know. like. Yeah. I and then it comes down to, like, all the other athletes as well, you know. Like, they're, they are people, like... <laughs> You can become a bit like desensitized and with things that people say as well, like that, and you, you can kind of forget that you know that they're they're people, you know that they're, they're the same as us. <laughs> they're not just just because they're out on the field, they're not like superhuman. Like they might do like amazing things on the field, but you know they're still people. <laughs> mm. So a lot of these players, especially the young ones, they come into an AFL system, and they're sort of molded into what is expected of them but I feel like there's an increasing amount of sort of authenticity with the younger players um it's sort of like you said the AFL is becoming really like a business and you sort of like almost like commercializing yourself and if you want to be your own person that is becoming increasingly accepted there's so many um player trades there's so much like it's you know people before they're even drafted are saying I want to play in Victoria like, I don't want to move state. Like, you, I just don't know if you were able to do that 20, 30 years yeah, ago. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Like, uh, guys like Ginevan are the ones that, like, come to mind straight away, like, when you mention that, like, having that sort of, like, the personality like, and the individual. I mean, there's been individuals in the game for, like, such a long time. You get guys like Akamanis. be interesting to see, like, how he would go, um, like, now, if he was playing around now, like, how he would sort of fit into the whole landscape of things. It would actually be quite interesting, I reckon. Yeah, Definitely would be interesting. Do you think 
like we talk about someone like Petrarca who sort of helps normalize footy, gives us an insight into his journey. What do you think about sort of figures in the community like Daniel Gorringe who sort of take the piss out of Kane Corns and the media and it almost it's almost like finally someone's like talking about the elephant in the room and, and just so everyone's aware that what they're saying is actually bullshit because sometimes you hear there's a lot of psychological studies that shows you keep hearing the same thing over and over the negativity you keep hearing false claims you almost just start to believe it that's true but finally someone taking the piss out of someone and being like okay this is just he's seriously this is not real like yeah, it goes back to like even like with the whole finn mcginnis tagging thing that was like happening this year and corns was sort of going on about that and then Russell Robertson chimed in and said, your opinion doesn't mean shit <laughs> pretty much. So it is it is great when, like, we we see people, like, coming out of their comfort zone and calling out stuff like this. Because, you know, ultimately, like, obviously we know that, you know, these media companies have to sell, you know, and that the best way to sell is to, to you know, propagate this kind of stuff. But, you know, there's, there's you know, we want to be encouraging... Uh, journalism that is as unbiased as possible and you know sort of i guess less irrational than broadcasting such you know degrading things about athletes i guess yeah so is there any way we're going to be able to regulate this do you see a way forward for the sports journalism world that we can sort of make sure that claims are substantiated and how can we hold people accountable for the, the claims that they make and sort of the negative impacts they have on on the mental health of people and they almost just get away with it because it's like what mm. are, there's no sort of accountability procedures. I'll bring it back to some of the, uh, in recent years, some of the unfortunate racial incidents that have occurred um, where people have been, you know, directly called out, like <laughs> specifically of, the, you know, what you've said is, you know, abhorrent and you can't get away with that and, like, actually naming the names i think there's been you know a few instances that i can recall off the top of my head where that's you know people are being directly called out not so much um media individuals but people but it's it's the same uh, thing like everyone sort of has a a medium to broadcast from now like as i said before it's sort of that's relatively unheard of you know like everyone having like a platform to sort of speak like their opinion on you know the internet or whatever is, is is something that's you know obviously a relatively recent thing. So yeah, I, I, in terms of a way forward, um, you know, I, as I was sort of saying before about the transition between new media and old media, I think that once we sort of once the the older sort of mediums of like um, journalism, whether that's you know print and radio, become a little bit less, um, I guess. Um, evident as they are now, I think it, the tide will begin to shift a bit. I think when um, we get just more um, perspectives and creatives that are sort of uh, sort of saying the same sort of thing and broadcasting positivity like you do, um, it's going to be a great thing. I, I think I think that's, I think the tide will turn. You know, I'm, a, I'm happy to be a positive person about it. So yeah. Do you think then also this coincides with the growth of um, player insight? So, like, you know, we're talking about players like Petrarca. Yeah, absolutely. They, yeah. they surely are helping yeah. change the, the landscape because uh, it's almost like because 10 years ago when I was younger right, and, and you looked up to these AFL players, it was like you put them on the pedestals, right? Yeah, but you had untouchable. no... Yeah, you had no insight into who they were. And part of the 
I think part of the reason I looked up to a lot of players was sort of the facade that they were invincible and you sort of aspired to be like them because they were like warriors. They were like obviously well-respected and had the you know success of playing AFL, but it's almost because you couldn't see their flaws that it, it made them so attractive to look yeah, up to. Yeah, that's that exactly what I was trying to sort of say before about them being like real people. You know, they're actually flawed individuals, you know. It's easy to put someone on a pedestal and, you know, think of how amazing they are. But, you know, like there's there's more to it, I guess. There's, they, they are people at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So Michael Phelps, obviously, we talk about pedestals. He, stand on, he stood on plenty of um, <laughs> pedestals. <laughs> Rightfully so. Yeah, 28 <laughs> Olympic medals. Absolute goat. You can't really um, say much more than that. But he had this really um, – he opened up in recent times and this really – powerful quote he said he says for the longest time i thought asking for help was a sign of weakness because that's kind of what society teaches us that's especially true from an athlete's perspective if we ask for help then we're not this big macho athlete that people can look up to well you know what if someone wants to call me weak for asking for help that's their problem because i'm saving my own life and he also says we all want to be the best versions of ourselves and talking to a therapist being vulnerable Opening up about what you're dealing with, it only helps. Nobody can deal with life all alone. Yeah, well, that's some powerful words, definitely. Well, I guess you can sort of come back to concepts of, like, the toxic masculinity Mm. of it being, um, you know, (laughs) when you were sort of mentioning before about, like, the warrior sort of, like, AFL player of, like, oh, you know, he's so strong and, you know, he's so great. But, like... It's just like it's how you define it, though. For for (laughs) for me, I define my own courage now. If I can be true with how I feel, if I feel shit and I own that, that's courageous. It's when you feel shit and you distract yourselves and you hide that. That's actually sort of being a coward because because you're trying to be fit the mold of what society wants to be, and you're not allowing yourself to be true with how you actually feel. And this is so. It's sort of how. I've shifted my own because at the end of the day when we've grown up in a society that teaches us to be a certain way like we see it we learn it we behave it and for someone like Phelps he's just showcased that like that's he only did what he thought he had to do and then he realized okay I don't actually have to do what society's telling me I want to I want to improve my life I want to be at one with my emotions and I don't care if anyone doesn't give a fuck because I'm being the person I want to be and and it's really powerful to see blokes like Michael Phelps, like people who millions of people have looked up to, is sort of showcasing that it's totally fine to be true to yourself. No, it's it's definitely like an important thing, and like coming from someone as successful as him, you know, the words definitely bear extra weight. I'd I'd probably say yeah for sure, someone that's been as successful in his field. So Naomi Osaka. Um, female tennis superstar she said in one of the recent tournaments she wouldn't do any press conferences because of the damage it could do to other tennis players because she would say she would get asked these probing questions from um, these journalists and then they would be taken out of context and then it would negatively impact other people so what do you how do you think this you know plays out with the fact that there's so many artificial stories that make journalists relevant and 
sometimes there's this tension created between players who don't even realise that it's true. It's just made in the media. Yeah, for sure, for sure. It's just, there's probably like conflicting egos and stuff like that. And when you try and consider that someone is trying to, you know, make a career for themselves and the more sort of engagement that you get these days, it correlates to the level of success you have as a journalist um, rather than sort of um, holding on to your integrity, I guess. Um, and an important thing to recognise is that you know every sort of piece of media that you consume has some sort of bias attached to it. You know, like that's something I definitely learnt through my studies. Um, you've just got to be able to account for that bias, and even that's what I'd like to see more of in the sort of, I, I guess, the AFL sort of media sphere. It's just sort of having more um, honest journalism in terms of um, identifying like you know the the truants and difficulties um especially with like trade news and stuff like that because you can just get so um you can get just some, some wild unsubstantiated things where it's like oh i contacted the the player manager and he's not the manager anymore but it's you know <laughs> gets, yeah. you get pretty out of control pretty quick um but yeah obviously you know there's you can you can account for it and understand why these sort of things happen i guess yeah do you think I always talk about um, when you blame other people, you take away your power, you take away responsibility. And I almost feel like we're doing this in a tiny way because we say media sells, media sells, but why? It's because we're the consumers of it. Oh, absolutely. So, I'm saying this, the, yeah, there's yeah, definitely yeah. like a, there's a fervent demand for the public. There's, there's a reason why there's so much noise around and that's because, you know, there's, there's a huge demand for it. Um, and that's why the, the higher up you go, the more negativity there is because there's just that so many extra eyes like obviously you you might find it out for yourself when you, you know you're moving up the ranks in footy as well like this year like there's more media coverage of the waffle like obviously it's nowhere near the level of the afl but you know there's some people that are extremely passionate about the waffle still and like especially westbound supporters as well um so it, it'll be it'll be interesting for yourself to be able to you know experience that um hopefully for a positive sort of thing. Yeah. But um, I'll, I'd love to hear sort of perspectives from an actual athlete that's some, you know, actually experienced having stuff written about them that's, you know, not true and how they kind of deal with it. It'd be yeah. quite interesting. So where I was, you know, where I'm leaning with that is like I had in my recent podcast where I said 22 lessons, one of them was be the change you want to see in the world. So if I want the world to be more positive and not take on this negative sort of you know thing that's happening in the whole sports journalism world i have to be the change and that starts with the fact that if i see a piece of information that's garbage like how do i go about it do i ignore it do i call it out or do i what most people do is find sort of um find something in that you like and just share it with someone else and just yeah and because that's what ha- sometimes we like calling it out is like falls like it further fuels the fire as well because like even giving a negative reaction to it is just fueling the engagement and especially like how the algorithms for these apps work so like if i'm, I'm interacting on a post like i see something that sen shared for example and it's something that you know some new thing that kane corns has had to say and if i comment on it and say you know this is absolute rubbish you know i'm fuel i'm fueling the fire like I, I, you know you're trying to call it out but at the same time you know you're, you're making it worse at the same time so you know there's got to be ways that we go about this and obviously you know 
can't exactly boycott the whole media or anything like exactly. that. So it's, you know, it's one of those things. It's, it's quite interesting how we're going to go about it. But yeah, yeah, it is. That's why I'm sort of trying to change the sort of landscape because again, you can only sort of control your own thing. And and I just what frustrates me is like I, I I've always said this like. And I think a lot of players, athletes would agree and would I'd love to get insight to players, but I don't think any of them mind fair criticism at a, the game that they play. Mm-hmm. So, and I think of this myself, I don't, if I was playing, so a lot of players get criticised and it's so personal and it's so irrelevant to what actually showcased. Like they'll see, like I'll give you a prime example, like Taron Thomas when he played last year. And he had a passing in his family. I don't know exactly who it was. I can't remember. But so he had a passing in his family and he, his whole body language, his demeanour was off. He didn't really want to be there. He didn't really want to play. And this would play out in all sorts of things. But you, they see the surface level thing of that. Then they make really deep, broad conclusions. Like yeah. he doesn't care about his footy. He's lazy. Exactly. You know, he's not, co- he's not committed. And that happens all the time. We take one piece of small information in a, in sport and we generalize it to their whole sort of career. Yeah, and sure. it's so unfair. And it's sort of, and the reason it's so appealing is because people like that. People like big generalizations. It's people consume that sort of content because it's dramatic. It's it's, but then again, it's like the player knows. The player knows they have a, like a lot of time. You know, you've had a shit game. Like. Speaking from experience, like you know, you don't really need someone else to tell you. Like a lot of the time, like you, you know, if you've had a bad game, you've made a mistake. You know, the players know that. You know, like I, like for example, um, let's say Blake Acres misses from the goal square, like on the weekend, it was pretty close to missing actually. Um, you know, from the Friday night game, I guess. Um, let's say, let's say he misses, and everyone, you know, hangs shit on him and says, you know. Uh, you know, like that's a horrible miss, you know, you've cost Carlton a preliminary final berth or whatever, but, you know, he knows that. Like, he knows he's fucked up. Like, a lot of time, you know, people, like, you know, very, like, insistent on, like, shaming people for, like, their performance. Yeah. <laughs> like, the players know that they've made a mistake. So it's like... Yeah, exactly. Go, you got to go easy on them. Like, they're, they're people after all, you know. It comes back to what we are sort of mentioning before about, you know, your, your, your players and you're thinking they're infallible because, you know, that, that they've got that sort of the sphere of uh, influence surrounding them and the, the hype and the sensationalism, yeah. I guess, and then you've got to bring it back, you know, people make mistakes. And, like, when you were sort of saying about, like, Taron Thomas and stuff like that, like, um, it's easy to um, expand on things, you know, like, without having any sort of actual, like surefire evidence you know it comes back to the saying you know correlation doesn't equal causation just because there's some particular thing doesn't mean it's you know like oh someone buys a house in sydney and then like let's say oh tim tim english has bought a property in sydney he's gonna move to play with the swans like you know (laughs) it doesn't mean anything you know it could be it could not be yeah i think you know it's funny because like all these how do i say this you see a lot of afl players right um, that's because, like, you know, that's our main sport. But you see this in any sport. So you have these play- players and then everyone, when they get criticised, when they, when they complain, I fucking hate this. When when people just say, oh, it must, it must be easy. It's easy. It must be nice. It's easy. Because they're playing AFL and, they, and they've 
and this and they have money and they have everything and and then like it's almost like they're not entitled to have negative experiences that's true you see it all the time and i just hate it it's like what gives you the right to tear someone down for having their own struggles mm-hmm. just because it's like they're successful um externally and, and and how much hard work have they put into you know get to where they are and we love to te- and, and and people tear them down but a lot of these people are actually like quite fragile because a lot of them are young are young people and they've talked about upping the age you know because i think a lot of these young people aren't resilient enough yet to be playing and you see a lot of them you know you get homesickness you get all this um you know second year blues all this negative like sort of down periods in young people's careers and a quote i like from chris williamson which i think is relevant he says if you're not ready to be hated you're not ready to be famous (laughs) and a lot of these afl players aren't content um, and secure enough in themselves and then the media all this stuff it's, it becomes overwhelming and rightfully so it's fucking toxic mm-hmm. but i think and maybe maybe these some people aren't ready yet but sometimes it, what actually happens is the negative experiences make them stronger so all that negativity you know makes them into a stronger better person but and you see it with like when I had Braden on, like obviously he's had some negative experiences and stuff like that, but it's shaped him into being a better person. But sometimes it's just too overwhelming and this it doesn't always end well. There's tragedy, there's, yeah. there's, there's suicides, there's mental health struggles, there's anxiety, depression. So it doesn't just play out in the positive way, like, oh, we all talk about how you get stronger from adversity. But sometimes you can't get stronger from adversity if your life stops. And that's an extreme thing, but it's, mm. it's true. What do you think about well, It's definitely like easier to tear someone down than it is to build them up um but w- i guess what you were sort of saying about like the the, the media noise i speaking from experience and i guess brayden would have experienced it some of it himself um well just from i wouldn't say experience so f- so much in my sense because obviously i'm you know i haven't played afl before um but living in perth um with the very like the it's it's quite the fishbowl environment um, just the the Eagles and Dockers having such a like a huge like command over the media over here. Like considering how massive footy is, um, you know, it's it's a different sort of landscape to other. It's probably the second biggest footy market in the country over here in Perth. Yeah, Melbourne. You know, it's sort of interesting because you know there's ten teams t- dividing the attention, and uh, you know I could talk for hours about <laughs> the Vic bias and whatnot. Yeah, but you. You bring it back, and you got the the amount of attention that the Eagles and Dockers receive. Uh, pretty much, particularly the Eagles, considering um, you, you can look at this year and considering how how much of a challenging year it's been for them, um, with like some of the the West like coverage on Adam Simpson and whatnot like that. Like the the intense the intensity of it is like pretty, you know, it's pretty full on. And I think it's it's sort of it's heightened considering you know there's only two clubs in the city. And you know, like it's 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 it can be pr- it must be like really suffocating for you know players that come over here, um, that you know haven't experienced that before. Even players that have, uh, you know, they've grown up in it and they've you know they've they've been drafted by the Eagles and Dockers to to be in that sort of environment where it's you know there's such an intense focus on those two teams. Yeah. Did you see that post I did on TikTok where Jack was talking about identity and your job? Yeah. Yeah. So that applies directly to this because. People like um, anyone who plays for West Coast or Frio, like 
people don't realise they've got a life outside of football. A lot of them have families. A lot of them have so many things going for them. Footy's just a part of their life. But they see, they see when O'Braden was talking about it, I think he said, oh, Jeremy McGovern, the footballer. Actually, you just saw McGovern walking down the street before. But, so you see like Jeremy McGovern and, P, and, and my brain straight away footballer. Yeah. He's walking with his family. He has a life outside of football. And it's almost like we it, that can be a difficult thing to navigate because you've got to respect, you know, they get so intruded upon it. So you've got to respect that they're actually people. And, and just imagine them. They're walking around um, and they know a lot of them, like, can, you know, people come up to them. And it's like a lot of them just want to go on with their lives and not yeah, be the centre of attention all the time. Some of them love it, but some of them want that, you know, some of them, especially with the ones with family and who, who don't really have been in the system long enough where they, where they don't, where the ego side of it isn't really the same. They sort of just want their space. And mm-hmm. I make like a um, specific point of like not addressing like AFL players when I see them. Like I'll just treat them as a normal person. Like one time I've served Luke Shuey at my work like I used to, when I used to work at a bottle shop. I just, I served him. Obviously I knew who he was. Um, but I didn't really say anything because they must just get so sick of it, like having people just like come up to them and they probably just, you know, they just want to live their lives with people after all. Like, how much do you let the man live? <laughs> how much do you reckon in their head though sometimes, you, I, I have no idea, but you, some of them who are like, it might not be like this, but do you reckon sometimes they're thinking like, oh, is this bloke going to like, especially, yeah. that, like, is he going to say something? Like, is he, I mean, like he could probably notice, like I'm probably staring at him a lot because I'm like thinking in my head, like I know this man, you know, I've watched him for 10, like 15 years or however long he's played for, actually probably about 15 years. Yeah, but I'll tell you one thing. They, they probably they know, and I'm sure they get like a lot of extra stares than the average yeah. person gets, even like with they probably don't even actively engaging in conversation yeah. with them. Yeah, I'll tell you my experience. So I had no experience with AFL footballers until three years ago. In terms of like, didn't really know who they were. Okay, in the last like couple of years, probably know you know we've got Pat, um, and there's a few others who play that I sort of know, um, and. And that was has been a positive experience in terms of realising how human they are. Mm-hmm. Because, like I've said before, way back, you put them on a pedestal, and it's not that they aren't, you know, superb athletes. They're not, you know, they're elite. I mean, the, yeah, to some extent, they do deserve to be put on a pedestal. Exactly, yeah. exactly. We respect them for, you know, what they do, but, you know, don't, you know, categorise them as just these, this person. But um, I think that whole experience has, has made me more confident in this whole space in terms of, Realising how human they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and a quote here from my favourite guy, Chris Williamson. You'll love this one because it's hell relevant to the media because this is you because it's about the whole underdog story. You see this all the time. He says, when you're on your way up, everyone roots for you because you remind them of their dreams. When you're at the top, everyone tears you down because you remind them of what they gave up on. It's a, that's a huge thing in Australia with like tall poppy syndrome. I think you sort of addressed it when episode with, Harry um, talking about on the first one I think it was um, talking about um, how people <laughs> like a very e- like I don't know I guess eager to to pull you down a bit yeah for sure um, it's it's common narrative in Australia like the, those two like sort of juxtapositions of like the tall poppy syndrome of you know like I guess you can bring it back to like someone like a team like Collingwood I guess you know that it's a a team that a lot of people you know love to hate and like they're doing very well at the moment so you know people want to see them fail everyone no everyone like was rooting for them last year yeah well i mean uh, even now like collingwood are probably the most likable they've been yeah they're like, like mccray and of their, yeah exactly they're likable with that 
But then, yeah, it, it is interesting. Well, and like, then the underdog narrative is like, you know, it's a huge giants. one. Like the Aussie battler, that's like another like huge thing as well. Like and yeah, with the Giants at the moment, even Carlton, like Carlton have come yeah. from the clouds. And like they're a bit of an definitely a bit of an underdog story considering how you know they're they're obviously a powerhouse club of the AFL a bit of a sleeping giant like I didn't realize how many fans they had I was like you oh see my it with god it's crazy you see it but with players like, all the time up, it's yeah. more I see it more with players than teams like someone like Bailey Smith everyone was rooting for his story like a couple of years ago when he was young starting to dominate and then obviously he had his like you know a drug thing but like. It's, yeah, I see it all the time. Like everyone loves these players when they're going up, and then as soon as they've made it, it's like, how can we criticize them? And, and yeah, you know, I, I don't want to let them get too big for their, you know, get too big for their boots. You know, then I want to get them let them get a big head. Like that's a thing in like Australia as well. Like you know, you have got your mates. And like <laughs> if one of them's you know being too over the top or whatever, you know, you, you c- people are pretty quick to tear each other down. I guess and it's it's a very like prevalent thing. But yeah, as honestly, it comes back to those like those two like storylines are huge in the media of like the underdog and then obviously the tall puppy thing as well. It's definitely, definitely a big thing. Okay, to, to wrap to wrap this up. Um, so obviously, you've got a passion for journalism, um, and I think you know it might, might be saying you want to look down. I'm not going to say anything for you, but how do you think you, you we know the problem. Uh, we know, we know the world because media. We consume it. It's not foreign to us. It's not like some sort of foreign business policy. You know, we're we're in we're part of the whole landscape, so we're well um, aware of the situation. So, how do you sort of see see it, and how do you sort of how would you like to go about your own you know yeah well I'm media thing, stuff yeah it's definitely been like something that I've always sort of like wanted to do like I've. I've been a fan of footy pretty much my whole life and I've pretty decent knowledge of it <laughs> subsequently because I'm pretty obsessed. Um, and, yeah, that's something I might be looking towards doing in the future is probably possibly like a master's in journalism or whatnot. But in terms of I, – I guess we sort of discussed it before about creating a positive sort of space. And journalists that I, like, have really looked up to and that are well-regarded in the industry are well-regarded for a reason. Like Guys like Gerald Whateley and stuff like that uh, you know they're such top-notch journalists because they are you know that I wouldn't say you can't say I'm biased but they perf- they perform and they present in a way that's very um very rational and very um measured I guess um and it's backed up by you know he's well researched well spoken and that's what you you know that's what I want from a journalist and that's what I would like you know I'd like to you know see from myself if I ever if I do look to sort of moving into that sphere. Um, Is it money that corrupts these people, do you think? Because a lot of them... That's actually an interesting point. I probably would say to some degree, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it, it, it comes back to that what sort of demands attention and that's the sort of... that that I wouldn't say hate, but like negativity a lot of the time. I, I want to sort of bring it back to what we were talking about before, about... Um, sort of, uh, what was it, I guess about humanising players. Um, there was a, a headline in the West earlier this year, uh, I think it would have been after Frio's round two loss to North Melbourne. Um, the headline was No Action Jackson, in reference to uh, you know, 
Rio's recent recruit, Luke Jackson, who actually had a pretty good season. Maybe the old Australian squad. Yeah, exactly. We know he, he was he was actually pretty good in the in the end. But um, a headline like that had like pretty far-reaching uh, like consequences for like his family. Like uh, I think that there was like a report that you know his mum was like devastated from like hearing that, and that's sort of like the the far-reaching consequences that a headline like that can definitely have and you, something you've got to be sort of acutely aware of is that, you know, words are powerful. Like, obviously, words can only you give the meaning that, you know, you, you connotate and you, you, you give them. But at the same time, you know, like, it might be directed at one person and, like, you know, the, the, as I was saying before about the, you know, the, the effects Sphere of far-reaching. Of yeah. yeah, for sure. Um Whoever wrote that, I'm not specifically sure who you know who wrote that action. You know, it's like a pretty, uh, pretty decent <laughs> headline, but like, um, you know, it's like it reels people in. Um, but you know, there's there's always like the other side to it. And like, obviously, it's targeting like a specific player or whatnot. But at the same time, you know, we we, we were discussing about like the effects that it has on the individual that it's like concerned about but then you know also think about you know like what about you know his friends his brothers sisters you know the family that are read that and they're like it's, it's horrible you know yeah because we talk about the identity for the player like but then it's also the identity for the close ones around them because it's like oh your son plays afl your brother plays afl yeah, exactly. your best friends like it's all it's <laughs> all the sphere of influence and it and we all you know like we said we spoke about the impact negative impact on the individuals but a lot of these athletes suffer because of the impact it's going to have on the people around them yeah like, oh exactly definitely 100 percent. like that's that's a huge thing about worrying about you know, the people surrounding i guess yeah yeah definitely all right we'll wrap it up there thanks for coming on spenny um it was a good chat we'll definitely have to follow this up um, and it was a pleasure. It was lovely stuff. to discuss something that I am passionate about. Um, keen to be back on again. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Now, um, see you on episode 31. Cheers. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.